just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From APP.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. And welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, Chris Eisman, wrapping up a fun week of college hoops in the Garden State. Things are certainly getting very interesting on this episode. We'll look at Seton Hall's struggles. We'll look at some of the mid-majors and where they stand in terms of their conference tournaments. We'll make fun of Rick Pitino, which is always a crowd pleaser. And of course, though, we will start with the Scarlet Knights. They come from 19 down to win at Penn State. Chris, I don't want to say it was a must-win game, but certainly a game Rutgers really, really wanted and really had to have. They didn't look so great, but they escape with a win. They have coming up on the schedule this week at Minnesota Thursday. Minnesota's lost 12 in a row, so take care of business there. They wrap up the regular season at home against a very good Northwestern team on Sunday. But let's first start with that win over Penn State. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't a must-win, it was, it was damn close. I mean, that would have hurt. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, if you, if you stop watching that game at halftime, boy, were you in for a surprise because just an epic comeback by Rutgers led by Derek Simpson off the bench. You know, he's played with a level of fearlessness all season. That's been really impressive. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. And I think that you saw that last night, the way he provided a spark with 16 points. Um, I think that he's, he's carving himself out. You know, I think he, he deserves a bigger role at this point. Uh, we'll see whether or not that happens, but man, you know, they need him last night and just, you know, Penn state, obviously late in the game, couldn't score. Um, Rutgers completely takes advantage and, and just, you know, goes from being run out of the building to, to beating Penn State in, in an epic comeback. So um, what a win, what a memorable night for Rutgers, and, and definitely one that they needed here as, as the season, um, you know, comes to a close in, a, in about a week. Yeah, and, and I mean, that was one, like you said, maybe not officially a must win, but if they lose that game, I mean, in terms of the tournament, in terms of their seeding, that's that's really uh, bad news for the Scarlet Knights. And luckily for them, they were able to rally and come from behind. As we look ahead to this week, though, uh, as I said, they have a team at the bottom of the Big Ten coming up and then a tough one against Northwestern on Sunday. So uh, in terms of the outlook for this week, Chris, what do you think they need to do? Obviously, win helps. But in terms of where they stand in terms of the Big Ten tournament, the NCAA tournament, what are we looking at for the Scarlet Knights? Go to Minnesota and win, punch your ticket to the big dance. I mean, I think that that's pretty much at this point, you know, what Rutgers is looking at. You know, they do that on Thursday night on the road. They're going to be just fine. I think they're just fine right now, but you make everything official by going on the road to Minnesota and beating a bad Golden Gophers team. So I think that that's what Rutgers uh, needs to do, and I think, quite frankly, that's what they will do. All right, let's let's go into – let's dive into this piece by piece because there's a lot of layers to this for Rutgers as we hit the home stretch of the season. The – the win at Penn State. Biggest comeback by the program in a game since 1996. 27 years. None of these guys who played last night were born then. Okay? So really significant. Uh, and I want to talk about Derek Simpson because this is the guy. This is the guy who can rescue Rutgers' offense. We've been saying it for weeks. And 
since Mawat Mag went down and they lost him for the season, Rutgers has needed a spark because it's going to be hard to hold teams to 45 points, especially without a top defender like Mag. Here's what the minutes Simpson had played since he went down, since Mag went down. 18, 22, 19, 22, and just 11 in Thursday's loss to Michigan. That's not enough. Yesterday, to Steve Peichel's credit, he gave Simpson longer reign and 28 minutes, 16.6 boards, the game-winning three-point play. He adds a moxie to Rutgers' offense, an ability to beat guys off the dribble. This guy must, must play starters minutes. If he wants to, if Steve wants to start him or not, whatever, that's not that important. It's starters minutes for Derek Simpson. Of course, there's going to be some matchup dependency here, but this is what Rutgers needs, this swagger, this spark, this ability to ignite the offense and – He's only going to get better. Look, the the recruiting industrial complex blew it on Derek Simpson. Three stars, ranked 250th in his class. Are you kidding me? This guy wasn't hiding. He was playing for Lenape High School, a perennial state group four big school power. They produced Jason Thompson, who played seven years in the NBA not that long ago. It's nuts that he was three stars. It shows you how, how bankrupt – that process is how how scouting is just broken, okay, with a, with a few exceptions like our buddy Jay Gomes in New Jersey, but the national scouting complex is broken. So Derek Simpson, that was big, and we knew he was good. I don't want to say it was his coming out party, but Steve Peichel, give this guy the ball. Give him some rain down the stretch. Let's get some, some life, some spark into this offense. The second thing, and Chris will address this later this week, is Rutgers better on the road relative to past Rutgers teams? I think so. I think so. They've won four games on the road, tying the program record. These games were all quad one wins. They were all quality road wins. Look, sometimes teams take on a personality where they thrive in that road environment and or they play tight at home. And, you know, Rutgers, the expectations are high for them. Fans at home have high expectations. Are they trying to impress those fans? Are they playing tight in their building? Again, Rutgers is still a good team at home, but relative to years past where Rutgers was dominant at home and awful on the road, that's leveled off. Rutgers hasn't been as good at home, and they've been better on the road this year. So that's something to take it, to keep in mind as they go to Minnesota, try to win a program record fifth road game, and punch that ticket like Chris said. That will be the icing on the cake. I think the goal for Rutgers moving forward – is to do better than an 8-9 seed. That 8-9 seed puts you in a tough spot in the NCAA tournament. you got to play a one seed in their backyard. Rutgers can. I think if they win these last two games, they can do better than that. Remember, the selection committee barely looks at the conference tournaments anymore. Basically, you're locked in at the end of your regular season. Rutgers has two games to lock in a better than 8-9 seed. If they win those two, I believe they will get a better than an 8-9 seed. So these games are significant. Now, Let's talk about what went on in the stands at Penn State last night. You know, we just posted something. Uh, the students sit behind the benches and vulgar language. Uh, you know, basically, student Penn State student fan leader sent a memo to the other students saying you were way over the line last night. Uh, the athletic department and the police have warned you that you got to you got to calm down. Uh, and so, we, you know, we looked into it. We wrote something about it. You can read the details, but I don't think people understand. The average fan doesn't understand some of the, some of the stuff that comes out of their mouths in these road environments. Some of the stuff these athletes have to hear on the court. Uh, it's it's bad. It's rough. And I don't know what can be done to clean it up. 
You know, the student section sitting behind the benches doesn't help. Okay. Uh, alcohol sales probably don't help. Uh, this is generally speaking now, but yeah, this it's, 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 it's gotten ugly. And so, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, did this stuff exist? Probably, probably. But now like with everybody's, everybody's got a microphone, everybody's got, you know, a forum to, to post what they've heard and seen. So this is embarrassing for Penn state. And you'd like to see the university acknowledge it. We've posted something about it, but you just can't be teeing off and saying whatever you want. There's got to be some lines you don't cross as Penn state's astute student leader noted in his memo to their fellow fans. So again, something to keep in mind about how difficult it is when you go on the road in some of these environments. You know, I, I think it's really upon the school administration. There need to be administrators either in front or or working through those student sections. I mean, Jerry, you sit right in front of the Seton Hall student section. I mean, everything that comes out of there is not, you know, you, you sometimes you shake your head. Yes. You know, I, I think I think that that the school administrators need to take a bigger role in policing what's going on and what's being said in those student sections. That's a great point. And yeah, this is this goes on everywhere. Look, there's, there's F-bombs everywhere you know, personal taunts everywhere. Where is the line crossed? You know, that's in the ear to beholder. Certainly if there is any racist language, that's a line that's way, way overcrossed. Uh, we, you know, we haven't been able to confirm that yet. That happened at the Penn state game last night. We're trying to look into that and confirm it. But uh, listen, this is an issue and you're right, Steve, athletic departments have to be more proactive about it because otherwise live mics are going to pick stuff up and it's going to be shame for these universities and, and rightly so. Yeah, and you know it's the, it's the atmospheres that make college basketball great, and the student section is is really the leader and what helps to build an atmosphere for these games. It's what separates it from the NBA, in in my opinion, of you know the the types of road games that these teams have to go on and play. And you know, there's going to be heckling, there's going to be chirping, but as you guys said, there's a line that that can be crossed, and unfortunately, we've seen it crossed many times, not just in Penn State but elsewhere as well. You know, hopefully. That's something that we see less and less of in college. And one, and one last thing about this. We talk a lot about student athlete mental health, right? This is a thing now and it should be a thing because it's real. You know, I don't, I don't pull this stuff out of thin air. I talk to these players about it, you know, off the record on background. I talk to the coaching staff about it. You know, not everything is in an interview. Okay. I know ex- exactly how much of a toll this takes on the mental health of these players, uh, you know, college students. Okay. When they have to hear stuff like this and it's, it's bad. So, we want to we want to talk the talk about mental health. You got to walk the walk, and that would be my message to administrators. Just one final note on Rutgers. Jerry mentioned they have four wins on the road this season. They're four and six overall, uh, an accomplishment because if you look at the Big Ten, only two teams with winning road records. Of course, Purdue, one of the best teams in the country, seven and three on the road, and oh by the way, Northwestern six and four on the road. They play at Jersey Mike's on Sunday. So that's for Rutgers. Let's take a look now at Seton Hall, Jerry. Some struggles for the Pirates at a time when they really can't afford to be struggling. They lose at home against Xavier. Now they have Villanova on Tuesday, and they wrap up the regular season at Providence on Saturday. Seton Hall looks like a team that is running out of gas, and they really it was a terrible performance at home in front of a packed crowd. Huge That student section turned out of the season – 10,000 plus people in the rock and to just lay an egg against Xavier. Look, one of the problems is Seton Hall's wounded, right? Kadari Richmond's back is hurt and he didn't, he couldn't play. And that's for an offense that struggles. You're taking out the most talented offensive guy. That's a killer. Uh, but still to be non-competitive at home, it was, it was embarrassing for Seton Hall. And I think you sense that, you know, Shaheen Holloway's post game 
uh, press conference. Uh, there was, you know, it was Seton Hall's pretty much has to win the big, big East tournament. The chances of them getting an at large bid are extremely slim at this point. Again, as we said, basically you're locked in after your regular season. Uh, can Seton Hall finish strong? Can they, can they show some signs of life here down the stretch, starting with senior night against a, a Villanova team that is rolling and then at Providence in a really tough spot. We'll see. You know, you do wonder, like I've, I've thought this a lot this season, what would this season have looked like if Alexis Yetna could play? Alexis Yetna is a power forward. He had a good year last year for Seton Hall. He couldn't go this year because of an, a lingering knee problem. And Seton Hall was counting on him in what was already a pretty thin front court. Without him, Tyree Samuel's been the only Big East level big man that they have. And he just can't do it all. You can't you can't do it that way. And so every time Samuel goes out of the game, the opposing coaches aren't stupid. They they attack. You know, they attack. And that's been a problem for Seton Hall all season. I don't know what the solution is, if there is one, but you do wonder, and again, sometimes you're at the mercy of of guys' bodies, you know, Alexis Yetna, what could they have been with him? Probably an NCAA tournament team if he was at all serviceable. It's water under the bridge now, but it's worth noting when people assess Shaheen Holloway that this is how he constructed his roster with the expectation that Yetna would be back and playing, and he wasn't able to go. And so this is a big hit that they took this year. Uh, I I did ask Shaheen after the game, uh, will he play as freshman more? He has two freshmen who have some – you know, tantalizing ability in Tay Davis, who's a forward, and Jaquan Sanders, who's a, a guard who could shoot the ball, which is a need they desperately have. He basically said, look, we're going to do what we have to do to win games. I'm not going to necessarily start looking toward the future when there's games to be won. So that's the way he coaches, and that's the way it's going to be. But you'd like to see a little bit more about what these guys can do down the stretch. And, look, if a guy like Jaquan Sanders is making shots for a team that, that can't score, it makes sense to have him in there. So we'll see how they handle that. Uh, I want to just mention senior day coming up, senior night against uh, Villanova. Seton Hall is going to honor the two academic seniors, Tyree Samuel and Trey Jackson. It's a little – it's a weird era for senior nights. And, Steve, you've been around a lot of these. It's a weird era because some of these guys are coming back. You know, you're going to see them again at next year's senior night. We did this with Joe Baker, Bryce Aiken. Uh, so it's a little weird. It's not yeah. like you don't really know for sure. I really wanted to do a Tyree Samuel feature for this senior night. He's Seton Hall's lone four-year guy. But the idea that he might be, he might well be back for the Pirates next year, I think the, the feeling on the other side was like maybe that's not a good – this is not a good – not appropriate for this time. So I wasn't able to get that interview. Uh, I understand it, but it just makes for an awkward dynamic. It absolutely does. In fact, I was at a senior night the other day at, at Monmouth where a kid uh, was honored who technically has two years remaining, you know, but he's been here four years. So you honor him. And if he wants to come back, you know, we, it, that, but that's the way it works now. And uh, so, yes, it's a senior night is not what it used to be. It's a, it's a much different, uh, a different animal. And it'll, it'll go back. I mean, once the COVID bubble is over and these fifth years are over for the most part, it'll go back to what it was, but you're not going to see as many four-year guys coming through the program for sure. One other thing I want to mention, and this involves both Rutgers and Seton Hall, post-game handshake lines, which I'm, I'm a big supporter of. I think people should, in college, it's a nice tradition. You know, it's, it's not these are not pros. Uh, it's, it's a nice show of sportsmanship. But there were some questions that fans asked me about the post-game handshake lines uh, with Seton Hall. First, start with that. You know, I, I do think 
there was some there was some tension after you know Xavier had its, its start the starters in to the final whistle the final whistle and uh, the final buzzer. You know, there's a there's an etiquette there. Like Xavier's up 25 points and starters are in shooting threes. There's an etiquette there that was kind of was probably breached, and I think it might have rubbed some Seton Hall people the wrong way. Uh, you know, again, the the way the net is is so stupid. You, you, you get you get you get the benefits for running up the score. That may that may influence some of this behavior, but that was the thing. And then Seton at Rutgers, there was a post game handshake, a lot of discussion going on between Penn State coach Micah Shrewsbury and Kayla McConnell. I'm told it was just it was just guys talking that they have good rapport. Caleb has a really good rapport with uh, Penn State players and and their coaches, and they were just talking it out. No big deal there. And I got to give Caleb McConnell a lot of credit, by the way. I wanted to mention that the guy's playing with a bad back, and he was absolutely awesome in this game last night. There's a guy who's going to be a fifth year senior. Yeah, he'll be honored for the second time on senior night uh, this Sunday. But there's a guy who deserves a long standing ovation for the blood, sweat, and tears he's given Rutgers basketball. Let's take a look at our mid-majors, and one of the regular seasons is over for one of our mid-majors, FDU. They split with the St. Francis schools, losing to St. Francis PA, winning against St. Francis Brooklyn. Let me take you behind the scenes of Jersey Jump Shot, because Jerry messaged our group chat this morning with a list of topics, and one of them was the weird circumstances for the Northeast Conference Tournament for FDU. I interpreted that as them playing St. Francis Brooklyn twice in a row. That's who they end the regular season with. That's who they open in the quarterfinals with, a 2-7 matchup there on Wednesday. There's something much weirder, though, happening in that tournament, though, Jerry. Uh, I'm going to explain. And, Steve, I want to I want to get your opinion on this, uh, someone who's covered mid-majors for a long time. So Merrimack is the top seed and the regular season champion. Merrimack, who's coached by Joey Gallo, the pride of Milltown, in Middlesex County, and is just a great guy who's done an awesome job there. They're a transitional Division One program. The NCA has a rule that your first four years, as an when you come up from D two, you're not eligible for the NCA tournament. So Merrimack got really good really fast, and it puts the Northeast Conference in an awkward spot. Like, what do we do with this team as far as like the postseason tournament? And so what the Northeast Conference decided to do was the first two years Merrimack was ineligible for the tournament. And that first year, Merrimack won the league, and they were ineligible for the tournament. And then the last two years, Merrimack was is eligible for the tournament. And I understand the thinking there because you want to reward these guys. Four years a long time to be barred from the postseason. You want to reward these guys with something, with the, some tournament feeling that matters, you know, the little bit of taste of March Madness. So Merrimack's in the tournament as a one seed. FDU's the two seed. Now you have this wacky scenario where – the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament goes to the if, – if Merrimack uh, is in the final, which they're the top seed, the automatic bid goes to the, the other finalist, whether they win the game or not. So technically, FDU plays the semifinal if they get that far at home, probably at 6 o'clock, okay? And then Merrimack, if they win their quarterfinal, plays their semifinal probably at 8 o'clock. The top seed usually goes late. FDU could win the semifinal – at home, the court clears out. They go in a conference room and watch watch Merrimack. If Merrimack wins, FDU's sitting in a conference room, and they find out they're going to the NCAA tournament. No net cutting, no on-court celebration. Then they got to go to Merrimack and play. And if Merrimack wins the final, Merrimack's cutting down the nets and celebrating. Just a bizarre situation all the way around. What do you think of this, Steve? Well, you know, I think it's unfortunate for the NEC, right? So now 
two years in a row with their tournament, we're going to have a situation, right? We had a situation last year at Bryant with the brawl with Wagner on national TV. Brutal. And now we come to, you know, th this potential scenario. Now, again, I, I think what the NEC did w was right in terms of, you know, let's transition Mary Mack into the tournament two years in, two years out, two years in. I don't think you could have been much fairer there. It's just unfortunate that this is the situation that, that has arrived. And now, again, two straight years, people around the country could be talking about the NEC tournament. So I would scale, If I was the NCAA, I would scale back the, the transitional period to maybe yes, two years. I agree with that. And that's what Joey Gallo said. Like these teams, these leagues are, these leagues are vetting these teams already before they're including them. Like, so even Stonehill, Stonehill is like a first year D1 program. They finished third in the Northeast conference. Yeah. They're ineligible for the tournament, but they were, they were vetted. The Northeast conference knew they were ready. The vetting process has changed and the NCAA rules should change with it. We've seen in the tournament the past years, you know, the, the difference, the gap between some of the high majors and the mid majors has, has gotten more narrow and we've seen teams catch up to some of the bigger schools faster. Uh, why not division two catching up to some of the, the mid major division one programs a little bit quicker as well. And it's something that we've seen in the Northeast. It's unfortunate for Merrimack, but uh, could be a bit beneficial for FDU. You know, yeah, while, we're, while we're on the subject of the NEC, I, I need to give a shout out here locally. Josh Cohen, CBA 610 senior at St. Francis, Pennsylvania, averaging 22 points a game, almost five points more than any other player in the NEC this year. He has had a tremendous season, a great career there, and you are going to see this kid at a high major next year, right? He's, uh, I would be shocked. I know there's been interest. I know teams like Penn State are looking at him. Um, it just, again, Josh Cohen, CBA kid, has really had a great year in the NEC this year. Good job. Remember the name, Josh Cohen. You heard it here first. And as for our other mid-majors, uh, we want to take a look at the MAC as well. We'll start, of course, with Ryder. Uh, they are at St. Peter's on Thursday, home against Iona on Sunday. They currently sit at second place in the MAC. We mentioned Rick Pitino at the top of the show. So, Steve, what's going on there? Well, I, I got to tell you, it, it's it's been crazy. Um, you know, I think uh, you know if we're talking about Pitino here, it's. Uh, it's just it's it's almost like his act has gotten old very quickly, you know, in the Mac. Jerry, what do you, I mean, what do you think about this? Yeah, so Patino, first of all, he loses to Siena a couple weeks back. Doesn't doesn't meet the media at all. No, just gets on a bus and goes home. Disgraceful. You can't do that as a head coach. Right? It's bad enough when you, players aren't made available, but you know, it's tough. It makes it hard enough on the media to cover the team, but for the head coach not to speak is just about unheard of. Um, then, you know, he wins a, he wins a game right? He beats Sienna. And then you have his quote. I love coaching at Iona. I love my players. I hate this league. I hate being in a one bid league. Well, Rick, a one bid league gave you a chance to come back from your reputation being in tatters. Okay. And so, you know, he was, we know that he was burned. He felt terrible uh, about not winning the league last year in the conference tournament after winning the regular season title. St. Peter's gets the automatic bid and does a legendary thing, right? And that ate at Patino. And so now he's already with the preemptive strike about the one-bid league. And look, if he was trying earnestly trying to get the MAC to change their policy for the future because he's going to stay at Iona, fine. No one thinks he's staying at Iona. Everyone thinks he's going to be coaching in the high majors next year. So really, I don't know what he's doing here other than venting. Uh, and it's just, it, it, you know, this is what you sign up for, man. 
it was no secret what was going on. Yeah, it's true that you don't get a lot of advantage for finishing first because the, the tournament's at a neutral site. But you know what? Tim Kluse won the thing four years in a row with Iona. He won that league, won the conference tournament. Let, let Patino go do it. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, they, they took out the the buyout of his contract at Iona last offseason. So everyone expects him him to leave. So, you know what, just go out gracefully. We we don't need all this, all the drama. You know, we know you're leaving, you know, just finish up your time and let's move on. (laughs) And maybe, maybe win the tournament, you know, instead of complaining about it. We want to talk about the Ivy league as well, because there's a weird situation there. Uh, Princeton, they win at Harvard this past week. They play at Penn on Saturday. And as it stands right now, the top four teams in the Ivy League, the four teams that would play in the Ivy League tournament, all play each other on the final day of the regular season. Princeton plays Penn. Yale plays Brown. Brown may or may not make the tournament, the Ivy League tournament, that is. But uh, regardless, all four teams playing each other to wrap up the regular season, then they turn around and potentially play each other again. So, Steve, when you look at that, what do you make of that? Well, listen, I mean, I think we're all happy that that the Ivy League is having a tournament, you know, which they started a few years back and they never had. So that's good. Um, You know, I listen, that is an ultra competitive league. You see it this year. You know, Princeton going and winning in Cambridge against Harvard. That was a huge win. You know, the, the, every game in the Ivy League, it seems like this year is a war. Um, so, you know, listen, if, if Princeton, Princeton can beat Penn, you know, they, they can get a, a top seed, you know, if they, if they, if they need a little help, but, little help. Um, you know, I, I listen, I, I think, I think it's going to be a great finish. I really do think it's going to be a great finish regardless of, you know, the teams having to, to play each other a lot. I mean, I just, I think it's so ultra competitive. It's fascinating to watch. The top seed matters because you get the automatic NIT bid, which I know no one wants to talk about right now, but right. that matters. But the, what matters most is that there's three really, really good teams in the Ivy League, and two of them are going to have to play each other in a semifinal. And the top seed gets a lesser team, although capable, in the other semifinal. So that does matter. Uh, I, Steve, I'm going to go – we don't know what the NCAA tournament matchups are here. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I will not be surprised at all if the Ivy League champion, which will get a 13 seed probably, wins their first-round game. It would not surprise me at all. These teams can shoot the lights out. And so after a whole winter of watching local teams that can't do that, yeah, that's a nice advantage to have when you're playing in March because you got to score to advance in March. That will be a fun tournament to watch, and lucky us. It's right in our backyard at Jadwin Gym in Princeton. Certainly go if you can. Check it out. I'll be watching on TV, of course. That will be a great, great tournament. Looking forward to that. Things certainly getting interesting here as we're getting ready to wrap up the regular season for the majority of these teams. Next week, we'll take a look at where they stand in terms of the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. This is our final, final episode in February, March Right around the corner, we're Woo-hoo! all looking forward to that. Finally, <laughs> finally, March. So that the countdown is on. March Madness is just around the corner. We cannot wait for that. And of course, Jerry, Steve, and Chris are on top of everything. Read their reporting on NorthJersey.com, APP.com, and MyCentralJersey.com. If you haven't told your friends already about this podcast, now's the time to do it. It's March. Start listening. We have a fun show coming up next week. We have a lot of great things planned. 
for the month of March. So be sure to listen. It should be another fun month for New Jersey college hoops. Enjoy the games this week. Thanks for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.